And we're live! Yay! Hey, welcome everyone to another fun episode of React 30. I think this is our sixth episode. Um, this is the podcast all about React and JavaScript, where we promise not to waste more than 30 minutes of your time. I'm your host, Michael Jackson. Joining us today is uh, our co-hosts, Kent C. Dodds and Hello. Ryan Hey, how's it going? Uh, Ryan informed me that he just came in from the lake after performing a 360 on a wakeboard, so if he's a little bit, you know, pumped or excited to be here, you'll understand exactly why. Um, but our special, special guest today, and we're super, super stoked about uh, him being here, is Jordan Walk. Uh, say hi, Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, hey, thank you for being on the show, man. Jordan uh, is actually... Uh, he's at Facebook. He's actually the first uh, first uh, member of the the React Core team uh, to be on our podcast, which uh, is pretty cool milestone, I think, for us. Uh, Jordan uh, actually created React uh, a few years ago, and so we uh, we're super excited to have him on the on the show today um, to talk about that. Um, so so uh, Jordan. Um, just kind of by way of intro, would you kind of let us know a little bit, let's go a little bit kind of pre-React. What was your uh, background uh, before kind of, you know, thinking up React? It seems it seems to me like you've got a lot of experience in like OCaml and, you know, these kind of highly functional languages. Um, could you talk to, tell us a little bit about your experience before pre-React? Yeah, absolutely. Um... It's kind of all over the board. I would uh, I would just say, you know, as far as the the story of how React was created, I did create the initial version of React, but um, as you know, it, it takes an entire community to to like evolve React to where it is today, and a lot of it doesn't even look remotely close to what it was um, when I first made the first uh, prototype. Yeah, whatever so, you made it, it's okay. Yeah, I think you know the initial initial inventor gets. A, disproportionate amount of credit for a lot of stuff. Um, Absolutely. But I can kind of explain what was going on in my head and, and uh, in my background there. So um, before React, yeah, I've always had, um, I've always been interested in functional programming and functional languages. And, uh, but, you know, on the job before that, I was doing more distributed systems stuff at Amazon. And, um, and at Facebook, I was working on user interfaces and, and I, uh, and I just was really bummed about the state of building UIs and keeping everything in sync and, um, and just trying to manage the complexity of, of a complicated application where dollars are, are on the line. So I was on the, ads, on the ads team there at Facebook. And so I just kind of gradually began piecing together all these different ideas that were out there already, functional programming, some of the the component models from existing frameworks and um, and some of the bindings frameworks that are out there for bidirectional bindings and I just I kind of like took a step back and um, just looked at it from a bird's eye view and realized that we could simplify a lot of it if we were to just um, do the dumbest thing possible which is to just re-render your component functions over and over again and to uh, pump the diffing to it to a different stage, kind of, I guess, a little, make it a little bit more like Git in that sense. Yeah, so that's kind of, um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of the story. Cool. So, so you were working on uh, distributed systems, you said, at Amazon. 
Um, it, it's really interesting that you that you mention that because um, I kind of tend to think about my components, my React components, as kind of these miniature little systems. You know, each one kind of each one has its own state. Um, I can I can talk between systems via these props that I'm passing around. Um, yeah, we've used, the, we've used the term distributed UI in a lot of our conversations about React with each other and with people at our workshops and stuff. It's like oh, cool. these, these components are like a distributed UI. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's it's just interesting how like a lot of uh, kind of the ideas of you know distributing uh, distributing state and distributed systems, a lot of the kind of ideas of behind service oriented architecture, uh, it, it kind of seems like they translate or, or there there are some good parallels, I guess, in in a in a React application. Did that did that ever kind of cross your mind when you were, or did that experience kind of influence the way that you were thinking about the React component model? I think it might have, yeah, maybe subconsciously. Um, I I'd just been thinking like that for so long that it was probably natural to to make a component model that resembled it, but um, more so, I think just wanting to bring engineering fundamentals to user interface development. Before, it was really hard to express constraints on your UI and say, this is what I'm biting off, this is what I commit to. I commit to having a, an API that accepts these pieces of information, and it will render down to something, and I'm not going to expose all the implementation details. Um, that's some very basic engineering principles there that seem to be lost on much of UI development before React and before Ember and a lot of these other uh, a lot of these other frameworks too. Uh, React doesn't get all the credit for that, but um, it was definitely what motivated me because the majority of developers at the time and probably even today are just crawling the DOM looking for something that they suspect is going to be in the right place without that uh, without that being I guess committed to anywhere on the on an API level, so so that was part of what drove the uh, the desire to to get the React component model in place. Interesting. So I remember um, um, I was at a jQuery conference five years ago or something. I can't remember how long ago it was, but uh, there was a talk about jQuery UI where um, they just kept saying the phrase "find something, do something." That's how you use jQuery. Find something, do something. And uh, it's funny that at the time that seemed amazing. It was like, well, this is so awesome. And now we look back at that like, oh, crap. <laughs> it doesn't work well when you have many other developers that are finding something and doing something with the stuff you didn't intend them on, you know, you didn't intend that they would ever find it, let alone <laughs> do anything with it. But yeah, when I find myself like I'm hacking together a web page, like a, a README doc or something, I don't mind using jQuery because I'm the only one, you know, I'm the only one contributing to that to that project. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the dependencies so, there with with jQuery are are so um, implicit, and and one of the nice things about React is it makes everything componentized and and explicit. Um, what well, one thing that I wanted to I, I like as part of the backstory. Is uh, like what was the motivation for creating uh, React? Was it just like you saw other frameworks and you're like, I want to make a framework, or did you were you actually trying to solve an, a, a problem at Facebook? Well, I was sort of a, uh, a framework connoisseur, and um, that I guess that started this um, 
and I would try out all these frameworks, and, and it, there's a lot to appreciate about all of them. And, uh, and many of them had a really good story for the initial, initial UI rendering and the initial app load. Um, and some of them had decent solutions for update, the story around updates, but they just always seemed so redundant. Uh, so like you would render something and then you would set up all these other bindings to make sure it keeps in sync with, with the data that changes. Um, and so we had something like that in Facebook ads create flow, which I was working on at the time. And uh, we had these bidirectional bindings and um, it was really tough to keep things in sync and, and bidirectional bindings really started to, they started to appear to be this, this kind of false promise they promise to reduce the complexity, but there's all this hidden complexity when things aren't really bidirectional, or they shouldn't be, um, and you really can't anticipate where all these changes are going to propagate through the entire system. You think like, oh, it's just a point-to-point -point binding. Well, you know, before you know it, you're going to start needing to set up other point-to-point -point bindings based on one end of that point-to-point -point binding, and that trickles throughout your entire app, and, and um, you know, the promise of having this really fast, direct, you know, value, key, key value pair, it, it kind of fell through, I found, in, in, in practice on very large apps like the CreateFlow. So, um, yeah, the CreateFlow in, in Facebook was where a lot of the motivation came, came from because it's a really complicated app with a lot of data that changes and a lot of the UI has to be reflected, um, reflective of these data changes. That so, initial thing that you had at, at React um, that you switched over to, it, was it, would you say it was more like Backbone, or was it more like just sort of jQuery throwing stuff at things, or was it more like Ember? Can you draw any comparisons there, what you were working with before? Yeah, I think it, I think it was decent, and um, it's probably more like Ember, and, it, uh, and I think it got a lot of things right, and I think it did have this good encapsulation. You could hide implementation details. It wasn't just like jQuery town. Um, but a lot of the stuff at Facebook before that was kind of like um, like jQuery. So you kind of had like a template the bindings would kind of happen automatically for you? Yeah, there was some, there was some, there was no templates, but it was definitely, um, there were some facilities to help wire up some bindings. And um, again, after I had done that, I, I realized, um, there's just a lot of hidden complexity in that, and it's not as easy as you would think to anticipate and predict where these changes yeah. are going to propagate into your system. So I took a step back and realized we were writing these bindings in line where you would like, you'd say, here's a value, and um, it's going to tie to this other data model maybe, and one of this data model's uh, you know, field changes, I'm going to supply a function, and that function's going to operate on that value, the new change value, to determine the um, the input, like the prop or something. And so you were kind of writing these functions in line that would map, um, you know, they'd map a changed value to an output value. Mm. And, and you're uh, like, well, you do this you were, for the whole thing. Yeah, if you just evaporated these functions and just re-executed the larger block, put the granularity of change at the component boundary itself, then you get to use all the primitives of the language, like, you know, arrays, array.map, objects, instead of having to create these, um, these abstractions that are getting, getting in the way. So the language is sufficient to express values changing over time because functions are. 
that was that was the real trick for me to kind of understand how UI could be functional. I was getting a little bit interested in Clojure right before um, right before I saw React, and uh, there was a guy on my team that was really into Clojure, and I was like, you know what? I like I I think I'm sold on uh, functional programming, but like, show me a tabs interface in Clojure Script. I just I want to see what that looks like. You click on these tabs and it changes the content down here. What does that look like? And what do the events look like in uh, in functional programming? And like, it we could never quite figure out what the heck that even meant <laughs> until React shows up. And it's like, oh, yeah. This even is what React, it looks like. React um, is mostly functional, but it does kind of have a couple of uh, escape hatches where yeah. we're not quite sure how to model something like a global focus. We suspect there's a way, but it's not exactly um, it's not exactly the most functional of paradigms, and so yeah, we have some some uh, escape patches to do this imperative stuff and manage imperative stuff like focus events and inputs that have a global focus. Some things are just inherently global; they're not really easy to encapsulate. So, um, but React does get us a, I think it gets us a huge step of the way there. Those escape patches are why it's I think proliferated so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've used stuff that didn't have escape hatches as good as React's, and you're just wondering why you're using the tool in the first place. Michael, you had something a minute ago. Well, no, I, I don't want to take the conversation in a completely different direction. I, I, I want to go with the flow here. Um, I actually had a question about those those escape hatches that we're talking about now, um, you know, where we can do some imperative stuff. In fact, Ryan and I, we conduct these training workshops, and we... We sometimes, um, you know, we discuss sort of, you know, this declarative model versus the imperative model that you're used to. Uh, you know, if you're coming from, a, a, you know, some kind of a kind of a jQuery-esque uh, background, and you know, we do a lot of, you know. You know, like the Web Audio API, for example. I mean, these are these are all imperative APIs. Um, when did you, when did you kind of first start to develop? Um, you know, to me, one of one of the greatest things is is the life cycle, right? The React life cycle. We've got component will mount, component did mount. Okay, now I'm going to get new props. You know, now I've updated. Now I'm going to unmount. Um, in my mind, those are kind of the five core kind of events that that really let us do anything that we want. When did that sort of uh, start to come together in in your mind, uh, you know, the specifically the the life cycle. Well, we um, from the start we had a couple of those implemented, and they were a little more functional, a little less escape hatchy, and uh, and we you know just from out in the battlefield of actually trying to integrate React, we realized we needed a little bit more, and Lee Byron was really helpful in um, crafting that API, making sure. It was easy to learn and intuitive, and the naming was consistent, and and making sure that we had all the right pieces that we would need in place. Um, so Lee Byron helped us. Uh, he was he was a huge help in implementing that and the implementation of a lot of them. At what point did Tom Mokino come along and say, "We need to call it render, and not what was it used to? What did it used to be called? Get component descriptor or something like that?" No, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> and how did you feel about that? <laughs> but I, I'm guessing it was within one second of him looking at, at the framework. <laughs> um, so I was uh, I worked with um, Thomas Alot, who works there at Facebook now, and you see his name on some of the commits. 
um, a little bit before he was at Facebook, and he and I were talking about like UIs and stuff. You know, we we'd both sort of grown out of Moo tools, but there there wasn't a whole lot out there yet. We had Backbone and Sprout Core, I think, and uh, we were just kind of discussing UIs, and and we both had some experience with Rails, and you know, Rails has an action. Uh, or has a controller, and then the controller has like six actions, right? All of them have a an, an edit, a create, a delete. You know, it has those like those those core actions that every model is going to have. And I remember Thomas saying something like, "What do you think those things are for an element on the page or a user interface?" He's like, "I think if we could figure out what those things are, like from Rails, but for a UI, yeah. I think we'd hit on something really awesome." And the two of us, I remember, spent a few minutes like just trying to write down what they were, and um, and we didn't even come close to what React has today. But uh, when I when I got my hands on React, I was like, "Whoa, they figured it out! <laughs> These are the things, you know. We we mounted, we updated. We're gonna get some new props. Um, uh, we're going to update. You know, it's a. Uh, I love the life cycle. Absolutely love it. Awesome. I'm glad they're working out for you. So, so you're sitting there at Facebook, you're working on the ads team, you're like, ah, I feel like we could be doing this uh, in a slightly better way. Um, that's a big ship, right? That, that's a big ship that's already sailing. Uh, and, and how do you, how do you, I mean, we've been talking, we've been kind of diving into the tech, but there's also like this, you know, this business level conversation that needs to be had, right? Do we, you know... Can we can we start to switch to something new? Can we start to migrate our stack to use some new technology? Uh, one of the cool things about <clears throat> working at a company like Facebook or Google or Apple is, you know, these kind of high tech companies is you get the opportunity to actually invent new technology. You don't just have to consume what others do. Um, but at at some point, there's a there's a risk involved with that, right? There's a a risk to the business that you know if this investment that we make if it doesn't work out well we're going to be in another rewrite in in you know a few months or a few months time so how did how did you I guess uh, how did you kind of get the uh, you know the the time that you needed to like work on this and figure it out and then actually like convince you know some people at Facebook namely your team or the people on the ads team to actually give it a shot was that Difficult or was that pretty easy for you? I mean, it's always it's always difficult, and you're right that um, that well, I believe the majority of it is social work. You know, it's socializing an idea and getting it sold, and, yes, and absolutely, and it takes a lot of people to to make that happen. That's the hardest part, and that's why you need to surround yourself with people that are supportive and and willing to take a risk. And I I'm incredibly grateful for all the people internally and externally outside of Facebook that took a risk on React. They, they, were, in, they were in on it with us, um, and they're why it is successful. Because if nobody did that, um, it would just be kind of a cool idea, a cool toy that never went anywhere. Um, so yeah, it takes people that are willing to take a risk, and uh, Facebook does have hackathons. It has a culture of you know, um, trying new things and even if it's not part of your day job, even if it's not um, on the roadmap, you know. So, so yeah, the culture at Facebook, I think, was conducive to that. And um, that's not to say it was easy, but uh, it was possible, you know. 
So, so I'm, I'm appreciative of that environment there. It was really helpful, and it did take a lot of hard work on nights and weekends too. Absolutely. I, I, last time I was talking to Tom, he said uh, uh, he he was he said he was talking to some uh, some I, I guess it was engineering managers or people at another company, um, and he said he wanted to he wanted to talk about some things that they were working on, um, and all these other people wanted to talk about was React because uh, React has been has been making such deep inroads. So it's like as soon as a few people do have that faith and try the experiment and you can see good results, then it's like it just kind of snowballs from there, right? But but when an idea is new, uh, it's very fragile and it, it's it's really cool that, that Facebook has that kind of culture where, you know, somebody can plant a seed like that and it can actually, you know, you, some people can buy into the experiment and it can actually, can actually grow and succeed. Yeah. Not only... Not only was it new, but it was also like very different from anything else that that was out there at the time. Like everything was all about templates, and like there was this um, arbitrary line between your view template and your logic in JavaScript, your controller, whatever. Um, but React kind of, you know, the whole mantra of like rethinking best practices and whatever. Um, I I imagine that it was like maybe a little bit challenging to you. Even if people saw the the good results, um, that like I could see them saying like this looks like the results are good, but the like actual implementation and the code I'm writing isn't this like an anti-pattern of some kind? Like I, I feel like it would be a little bit you know it's it's been hard enough to convince a lot of the community uh, at least it was uh, that this was a good idea. Was it challenging for you to convince um, people at Facebook that like this you know big um, Detour away from what like common practices were at the time was was that challenging to do that? Yeah, um, not just externally but internally too, because it was a different paradigm. And you know, I had all these doubts. Like, I didn't think React would be as big as it is now. No way, um, because it is kind of niche. It's kind of functional programming, and that's not yet popular. You know, um, and so and so I thought that would be a big barrier. To adoption and uh, and so the initial conversations were were very much you know having to sell functional programming first because um, most people hadn't been sold on that yet. I think David Nolan came in and sold everybody on it with Ohm. Yeah, <laughs> when he first started showing that undo redo stuff and everyone was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah hey. I think the timing for React was nice, although yeah, it was challenging because. You know, functional programming hadn't quite been sold yet and, and generally accepted, but it was definitely on the upswing, and so the timing was right, you know? That's that's why these things, I think, get really big, and they blow up, they blow up like this, because a lot of little things align just to make it happen. Yep. Yeah. So tell me, um, do, you have a, do you have a kind of a favorite piece of React, something where you look at it and you're like, yeah, I'm really proud of that that piece of it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Next question. All right. I got was a question. Any, was there anything? Was there anything that? Um, I'll, I'll let you go next, Ryan. Was there anything that? So I, I looked at some of the uh, some of the original code that you had written uh, that later became React, um, and it seemed like you had some stuff in there for doing stuff like. Uh, you know, CSS and styling, and and 
you know, I mean, I, I imagine you probably had a lot of different ideas when you were first getting started with this. Is there anything that that you had in kind of your initial implementation, your initial uh, you know spikes that that didn't make it into what we know as React today? Well, yeah, um, I'm glad you asked. The uh, and it's it's relevant to the lifecycle stuff we were talking about. I do wish that there was a way to unify the lifecycle, um, all those lifecycle hooks, and a more functional API. So I think that those are really important, but I wish they were more, um, a little more functional and and provided a way to conveniently update the state as a result of those um, lifecycles being invoked. So I wish that we had a, a unification of a functional API plus the ability to do those those um, escape hatch um, imperative calls. Yeah. I was talking with uh, Sebastian a while ago, and he was talking about you know, we were talking about the create class API and, and, you know, now that, you know, React is using ES6 classes and he was just kind of like, you know, like, what if these, what if these functions, you know, we don't, we don't need to create an object, like, what if these functions are just exported from a module? I mean, a module, I guess, is all, a JavaScript module is already uh, technically an object. And then, um, you know, every every function, every lifecycle function receives all of the arguments that it needs to operate on things, right? So, um, you know, for example, in your component did mount, you might get, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, you might get props and you might get a set state argument in case you needed to call that as an argument to the function, so that, you know, there wouldn't there there essentially wouldn't be a this. There would just be, uh, you know, functions operating on values, operating on arguments. Is that yeah. is that kind of what? Thinking, or are you or are you thinking of something else? Yeah, I'm thinking of something like that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Um, Ryan, did you have a question? Uh, yeah. So I don't know if I'm the only programmer who does this, but there are times where I'm working on something, and then all of a sudden, like something works that I've been working on, and like I get that sort of like rush of endorphins, like this is going to work, like this this API is going to work. Um, did you have something like that in React, and can you tell us about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I remembered uh, re-implementing the event bubbling, and... Um, in, in Where were you? Were you at your office? Were you... Was no, I, was it my, I, was my I was at my apartment, and uh, I remembered re-implementing event bubbling, and, uh, and I got the first click working. And it was entirely in framework space. You know, it wasn't in the DOM. And uh, and I remember just, yeah, having that rush of endorphins and thinking, whoa, this could actually work. Um, and that was with, like, server rendering, you know. So it was all server rendered in that first prototype. Um, and everything was wired up on the client. And I'd never seen that, been, I'd never seen that done anywhere. So, um, oh, so you just laid the events over the top of the existing HTML that you had rendered with. Right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and then I realized, oh, this could actually work, yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Did you stick your hands up in the air? I, I probably did, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. I'm like, yes! <laughs> so, um, we, we technically have about two and a half minutes uh, left, but I don't think that anybody would argue with the fact that we're not going to waste any time, or we haven't wasted any time, so we could probably go a little bit over and still keep our promise. And do we want to give Jordan a chance to just say whatever he might want to say here? Let's do. Um, 
put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy hey, to answer any other question. I got plenty more questions for you. Yeah. Did Did you want to talk about? I, I know we wanted to touch briefly on reason because, like, your your big thing right now is is um, not as much React as as it is reason. If I understand correctly, so can you talk about why you're so excited about Reason or what Reason even is? Yes. So um, Reason, the the TLDR is that Reason is a better front end for the OCaml compiler tool chain, and front end doesn't mean like type checker and um, and uh, you know creating the intermediate representations. What it means is a better developer experience inside of your editor, inside of um, Project scaffolding, uh, scaffolding, stuff like that, and um, and I'm really excited about it because it's a way that it's um, it opens up a totally different um, programming tool to many more developers, specifically people that are web developers or React developers, um, and I'm really excited about it because the underlying compiler, OCaml, and just really ML in general is is wonderful. It's amazing, um, and it's been around for Almost 30 years, depending on which, uh, you know, which compiler you're talking about, and just to think that something this this cool, this amazing, has been here for this long, kind of right under our noses, um, it's really exciting to kind of uh, play archaeologist and like figure out like what's going on, what, why why are we using the tools that we currently use today? Why aren't we using this other one? And what could we do to change that? And what would the benefits be? And for me, what really sells it for me is that. It's a language that I can learn, and it greatly increases the the scope of engineering tasks that I can solve. Because if I learn Reason, and in, in the process I'm learning ML and OCaml, I'm not just a web developer. I'm not just a JS developer. The programs that I write can run without a virtual machine. They can run without Node. They can run without V8. They can run um, as you know much closer to the metal compiled into assembly directly. There's no virtual machine. My instructions aren't going through an interpreter, and I don't have to sit there and pray that the JIT optimizes it. Um, I can look at the assembly and just know and have a good sense of what's going to happen. So I get to program like that if I learn Reason. That's why I'm excited that about it. But, but what's also cool is that I get to do everything I could do previously as a JS developer. So I can compile my program into JavaScript fairly idiomatic JavaScript, and, uh, and this, this ecosystem is only getting better because we have JS of OCaml, which is great, um, but we also have BuckleScript, which is kind of the up-and-coming up um, uh, JS compiler, which, is, which works with Reason as well. So, so it's not like I'm giving up a, a previous way of, of developing and a previous set of problems I could solve. I'm only gaining more. That's why I'm excited about it. That I, I love, let me just tell you, I loved when I saw uh, that Reason kind of pitches itself as an entire tool chain, right? And not just, hey, we're a new programming language. Um, I love that you guys have, have the foresight to do things like, yeah, you know, the editor is the interface that the developer is using. How can we make that better? You know, how can we make, you know, things like, Auto formatting of source code and stuff like that. How can we how can we get rid of like all those little kind of annoying things that developers have to do and really improve that experience? I think that's um, I mean because you know we've got programming languages 
Uh, I think the, the 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 you know the the piece that you're talking about now, you know, being able to compile, uh, you know, bypass bypassing bits and, and bypassing interpreters entirely. I think that's that's totally awesome. Um, but it's also awesome that you guys are pitching yourselves as like, hey, look, you know, we it's not just a new language; it's a new way of thinking about writing code. Uh, yeah. So kudos for that. That's that's awesome. Okay, so I think we are probably out of time here on React 30. What do you say, Kent? Are we out of time? Yeah, we're a little bit over, but we definitely didn't waste anybody's time, that's for sure. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so um, Jordan, uh, just wanted to say thank you so much for being our guest today on the show. Um, I want to have you on again after I get a chance to dive into reason, because I want to... I want to talk about that a lot more. I think that's a yeah. lot more significant than anybody is really mentioning right now. But um, thank you all so much for all the work that you've done. Um, you've changed my career, and, and you and, and everybody else at Facebook who's worked on, on React uh, definitely changed my career for the better, and uh, I just can't say thank you enough. So thanks for coming on the show today, man. Well, thank you. All right. See you all later. Bye-bye.